This is the CRO Gumbo Podcast by Christian Louvier. Tyler or Kelly, welcome to CRO Gumbo. How are you doing today? Doing very well. Very excited that it's Friday, Christian. <laughs> um, where in the world are you on this Friday? I'm in Brooklyn, New York. So uh, the the land of pumpkin spice lattes is... is uh, <laughs> it's upon real. you? It is. <laughs> very excited. Have you ever seen that uh, Eliza Schlesinger bit? I have not, but did they do it with a fresh pair of Uggs? Um, no, but, uh, she did, she had this, I was like, it was like her second or third Netflix special. And she does like a hashtag pumpkin, everything. And she has a seven, <laughs> seven minute bit about how once a uh, fall hits, like women are like all over pumpkin. Everything. <laughs> yeah. Orange and Brown is in abundance. Yeah. It's definitely worth a look up on YouTube. Um, Tyler, give me a little bit about, uh, your, your background about, you know, anything less than two minutes. Sure. Yeah. So I've been in the startup space for, for most of my career. Uh, I've kind of balanced that between that and, and sports, uh, sports up until I got too old to, to run and then <laughs> startups seemed to be the closest thing to sports. So I kind of naturally moved into that realm. Um, I've kind of been all over the place from doing my own startups to consulting, um, you know, to kind of a hybrid of, of, of both of those, um, and, uh, kind of find myself now, uh, specifically in the consulting realm, um, with a company called E2 Generations, uh, where I kind of serve as, you know, chief revenues officer, but, you know, at the size of our company, it, it typically includes, uh, you know, a bit couple more of hats. That. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> what, um, since you brought it up, what's the size of your company, uh, headcount wise? Uh, we're 25 right now. Uh, we're fully based in Tampa, Florida. Uh, I'm kind of the lone ranger up in New York. Uh, I moved up here, uh, for, uh, my, my fiance is in her third year of med school. So, um, Oh, congrats. I'm, I'm kind of playing the reverse snowbird uh, route at the moment. Yeah. I mean, man, I, researching you before the interview was one of the more interesting ones I had. Cause oh yeah. Car- yeah. Well, ca- career wise, well. who, who says that? My mother. Oh, gotcha. Um, career, I mean, career wise, it reads like an EKG, like, you know, most people kind of like follow this trajectory. You're like yeah, up, down, me. up, down. And when yeah, I say, yeah. when I, when I say up, down, up, down, I don't mean good or bad. I mean, like in terms of you're working with somebody and then you're doing your own thing and then you're working uh-huh. with somebody. Um, and then very uh, much like the startup path, you know, yeah. a lot of highs, a lot of lows, a lot of and, um, but, uh, you know, I don't typically take the road most taken. Um, and it, or is you, your, your fiance and yourself are both from Tampa? Uh, so that, that's a whole other story right there. So she actually is uh, from LA. Uh, I had gone out to South by Southwest maybe five years ago. Mm-hmm. And um, we were pitching a startup at the time. I was going to go follow up with some contacts that I made in Austin, in LA and San Fran. And um, went out to Hermosa Beach, California. If you haven't been one of the prettiest places that I've been to and uh, decided not to go back to uh, Baltimore, Maryland, where I'm from um, uh, and uh, sold all my stuff remotely and uh, wow. to live there. And um, yeah, I spent four years in LA and that's where I met her. She was, she was uh, finishing up time at UCLA and um, we migrated South as she went to med school outside of the country. And I reconnected with some of my, uh, former partners who were living in Tampa at the time. 
And uh, we decided to kind of double down on, on kind of what we do at, at the moment, which is uh, software consulting. So we're full, uh, full service dev shop and uh, we're helping early stage companies, mid-market companies automate a lot of manual tasks. So anything that lives on a whiteboard or an Excel sheet, you know, we're looking to build custom software to help them uh, you know, do what they do better. Nice. So it's, it's a, would it be classified as kind of like business process optimization, like BPO stuff or? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of times, you know, folks start out with, you know, if, if they're kind of making that tran- tra- transition into things that are a little more automated, they'll typically go with the off the shelf solutions. Uh, but a lot of times they quickly realize that, you know, obviously these companies built those products to serve, uh, mass audience and uh, you know every business is so unique that you know there's always so many things that you're kind of leaving on the table uh, so a lot of times we're coming in to either work with existing uh, platforms and building kind of custom integrations or you know different tweaks to the product to, to help it uh, run more efficiently or we're just kind of building things from scratch um, and kind of specifically targeting all the all the needs that they that they have uh to kind of run their business uh you know the best it can run got it uh jumping back to hermosa beach so (laughs) so did did you i'm sorry did you meet your fiance there and that's why you stayed or you just fell in love with the geography or both that that would have been a much (laughs) better story um but uh no i fell i fell in love with the beach life and got it got it i think it was pretty cold in baltimore at the time so uh i think that that helped my decision even more but Manhattan Beach, Hermosa Beach, uh, they're right next to each other. Uh, you know, it's, it's one of the prettiest places out there. So uh, that, that's kind of what made, it, made the decision easy. And then uh, the icing on the cake was that I bumped into her actually while I was trying to sell the startup uh, that we had at the time. Um, okay. So uh, it was kind of funny how, you know, my business facilitated not just a geography move, but uh, a, a bigger lifestyle uh, decision. <laughs> You're like cashing in everywhere, man. Yeah, um, <laughs> the, uh, you, you kind of glossed over, uh, that, you know, when you got too old to run, you stopped doing that, but <laughs> you're a professional tennis player. Um, can you, so here's where I lost track that I need you to explain. It uh-huh. looks like you went to, you were a blue hen at the university of Delaware playing yes, lacrosse, sir. but then yep. somehow you became a professional tennis player. I, I wasn't following. Yeah, that, that was, uh, that was a, bit of a move that my parents uh, scratched their head on but um <laughs> growing up in maryland not too many people care about tennis uh lacrosse definitely takes precedent i had always played both sports and uh when high school came along i transitioned into lacrosse uh played all through school got a scholarship to play at delaware and uh while i was there I quickly realized that um you know, uh, tennis, you know, was always kind of my first love. I wanted to give it one more shot before I, I really got too old. Uh, so at 18, I left school after my first semester, uh, moved down to Florida, started training full time, uh, met a, met a coach that was originally from Belgium, uh, moved to Belgium, lived there for about three and a half, four years, traveling all over the world, trying to make it. Hey, what I'm I sorry. What, what, what part of Florida? Uh, it actually was originally, well, originally it was, uh, Boca, uh, and then the second half of that was in Tampa. So I was training at Saddlebrook tennis Academy, which ironically is where I met my two current business partners. They had done the same thing, but, uh, (laughs) 
Kyle, who, who's the son. It's a father-son duo that I work with now. Uh, the son was trying to kind of do it to get on a D1 tennis team. And so we ended up playing doubles together while I was down there. And uh, now I, I always kind of say we took our, our partnership from the tennis course to the, to the boardroom. Um, That's uh, so know, cool. Fast tracking 15 years. But um, yeah, I, I was training there in Florida for a number of years and then uh, segued to, to Europe. And um, I was kind of on what you would call like the like triple a baseball it was kind of like the farm system of, okay. of the professional tennis tour and if you graduate you kind of make it to the uh you know the stuff that you kind of see on tv but it was a great experience and uh it definitely seeded a lot of my entrepreneurial uh roots and um why is that uh as a tennis player you kind of are your own ceo very different from being on a team mm-hmm. uh where your coach is that um and you're kind of playing a role uh, as a tennis player, you're making all the decisions on where you're going for which tournaments, who your coach is, who your physio is, Got what it. racket to use, what type of clothing you wear. Um, all the decisions kind of go through you. Uh, so it's just a much different type of uh, cadence than if you were on a, you know, your, your typical basketball lacrosse or football team. Um, so I think that mixed in with tennis is, uh, you know, you're on that Island by yourself. You got to make decisions. There's nowhere there to, no one there to help you. Um, and, uh, it's a very difficult life, you know, a lot of, a lot of ups, a lot of downs. Um, and, uh, you eat what you kill. Uh, you don't get some fat contracts, you know, if you win, you make money. If you don't, you know, you got to figure it out. So hundred uh, percent startup life. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So, that's, uh, that's really insightful. A lot of similar, uh, yeah. Qualities there. Had people told you about that kind of lifestyle in tennis before you left and, or, you, or it just didn't bother you? You know, I, I think with most athletes, you do it because you can't think of doing anything else. Got um, it. it's, 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 it's the reason why we get injured so much, you know, is, <laughs> is, uh, even when we're injured, it's very difficult to stay off, uh, you know, that leg or that arm, you know, we would just want to keep on playing. So, um, you know, whether I would have known it or not, I didn't know it. Uh, no one could have prepared me for how difficult that whole process was, but even if I would have known a little bit, um, I don't think it would have stopped me. Um, was there any, was there like one specific incident that made it so difficult or is it just kind of the, the constant up and down? Yeah. Uh. So, I mean, there's a lot of different tracks you can take it, uh, because I got back into it late. Uh, I was very much what you would call a journeyman and, um, you know, it's, it's the travel to these random parts of the world, you know, which is very different than most sports. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm taking a 30 hour bus ride from Mexico city to a border town, you know, up near Arizona, um, you know, and getting stopped by the police 10 times and, you know, sweating my butt off, uh, and then having to play tennis, you know, with, uh, stomach issues, you know, the next morning, um, you know, it's, uh, playing in Tunisia or Morocco and it's 120 degrees and your hotel doesn't have any AC and you're cramping up in the middle of the night. Um, you know, it's, it's just kind of the trials and tribulations of, of traveling to random places, a lot of unknowns, and then still trying to play at your best. Uh, you know, there, there's just a lot of, a lot of things there that are hard to manage. Uh, and a lot of times, you know, with the sh- shoestring budget that you have, because um, mm-hmm. it is an expensive enterprise and no one's really sponsoring you, um, you know, there, there's a lot of things that you have to do uh, that maybe aren't the best for you to perform at your at your your top, uh, level, but you kind of have to do it to survive. So, 
Um, and, and Tyler, like for people right. who, who don't follow tennis, like, can you give a little context for, cause what they probably just heard is I started playing when I was 18 and most people are going to think that she, oh, right, right. and, um, that, yeah. you know, in, in the top four sports in the country, that might be true, but that's definitely not true in tennis. Yeah, no tennis. You got to start from almost the time you can walk in a lot of, <laughs> a lot of instances, but yeah, I started playing with my mom when I was, uh, I think five. Um, I had played all the way up until I was 12 every single day. My, my story is different because I took a hiatus uh, for, for six years because, uh, you know, with tennis, all the emphasis is on one child. I had two other siblings. My parents wanted me to focus on school. Uh, mm-hmm. Lacrosse was a little less disrupted to the family unit. Uh, at, you know, being in Maryland, you know, there wasn't a lot of great players or, or great coaches. So, um, you know, the typical migration path is if you're on the east coast you go to florida you know if you're on the west coast california is a big uh melting pot um you know texas obviously you know places where it's warm you can play year round type of thing um so my parents weren't prepared to do something like that so that's why my story is a little different i was a good junior uh stopped at 12 played lacrosse and then was uh arrogant enough to think i could just walk back into it um so mm-hmm. I, I think that was part of uh why the trials and tribulations were maybe a little more aggressive for me um you uh we'll jump off tennis in a second but you know how many people can say they train with the number one player in the world so can you talk a little bit about working with uh justine hennen and how that came about yeah so she's she's belgian um i was training and living at a club um where I think it was her, her manager at the time was, was also the manager at our club. Um, so I got the opportunity to, to train with her a bit. And, um, yeah, I mean, the best takeaway from that is just seeing, uh, more of the routines of someone that is at the top of, of their game, especially with someone of her stature where she was one of the smallest, uh, women on tour at the time, not very physically imposing, um, but just the uh, amount of, of focus that you would see her have every time she walked on the, on the court or every time that she started uh, a rally, um, she never took uh, a ball off, you know, every mm-hmm. time so mentally prepared for every shot. Um, so committed to her craft, you know, unbelievable, unbelievably regimented. Um, so that, that to me was just the, the best takeaway is uh, you know, how much preparation and then kind of focus, uh, is required to, to really be good at what you do. So jumping into the entrepreneur world, how, tell me like, um, about be more clean and how that came about. And, um, you mentioned basic, I mean, you basically did it on no budget. Um, and if you could get any into any of the grill marketing that you did to execute, that would be awesome. Yeah. We, we, we did some really fun, uh, marketing, we we explored some interesting marketing tactics during during that uh, that experience. Um, so, be more clean was a pickup and drop off, laundry and dry cleaning, and storage service for college kids specifically. And uh, I was actually teaching tennis at the time, going back to school, and one of my assistants had just uh, uh, finished up college at. Um, I'm blanking on the school, but it was in Northern California, and they had this service. Um, wait, you were a college kid with an assistant. I'm like, tell me about that one. I wish I had one. 
he, he was, uh, he was one of my tennis assistants, but I, I oh. gone back to school. So this is me <laughs> at 24. Got um, it. I'm going back to school. This is post tennis career. Okay. And, um, so I was the <laughs> head pro at a, at a country club, uh, still going to school, uh, part-time and, uh, and so, so you had just, like a salary and all kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. I, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't just have a personal assistant running around taking down, any startup idea, maybe had, <laughs> uh, which would have been nice. Um, yeah, right. But uh, yeah, so so this this kid and I were just you know rapping one day, and um, he said that uh, yeah, there's a service that he had out in out in the West Coast, and uh, you know kids really liked it, and you know didn't know of anything um, like that here. I think this was back in like 2011, 2012, something like that, where you know really apps and you know, a lot of these services, these on-demand services, you know, obviously Uber wasn't around. Um, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, th- this, this type of kind of technology on-demand service, uh, you know, marketplace didn't really exist. And, um, you know, we, we came up with a really cool, uh, really fun name. It was a really fun brand. Uh, you know, it was a, it was kind of a cartoonish crab that had bubbles around it and like soap and, uh, in a towel or something like that. And, uh, you know, very Maryland focused at the time. And, um, you know, our, we just kind of went right into it. You know, I had an old Chevy Suburban that kind of served as the car. We decaled it. We used the money that we had made from, from tennis to seed a lot of, you know, the, the early efforts there. Um, and, uh, we started marketing directly to, uh, Hopkins, uh, all the local colleges. So Johns Hopkins, Towson university, uh, Loyola College, uh, University of Maryland, uh, Goucher. Um, well, all those kids probably did have personal assistance. <laughs> yes, there, there was definitely some. There's a nice, nice contrast: the ones that didn't, and ones that were a little more high maintenance. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, definitely the ones at Hopkins kind of fit the the high maintenance category. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was so so interesting. That, I mean, that was my first startup. We were just kind of making stuff up as we went, uh, a lot of do's, lots of, lots of don'ts, uh, in, in that whole process. Um, you know, we were doing anything and everything to try and get the word out. Uh, we didn't really take as much of a digital approach at that stage. We weren't super savvy with, uh, you know, say, you know, a Facebook, uh, you know, campaign or, you know, these things just weren't as, yeah, I mean, Facebook didn't even IPO until like 2012. I mean, the ad revenue at that time was probably all big brand. I don't, I don't think you could do it yourself like you can now. Yeah. They hadn't even figured out mobile at that time. Oh, I remember that. I worked for a company that sold, uh, like Facebook application, custom Facebook applications. And like, I remember we'd have to like teach the client how we would like iframe it in and stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, the stock was at like 25 bucks at that time. Like it really hadn't hit its stride. Um, and you know, just in general, like that wasn't necessarily the route that you would go. Um, and you know, with college, it's, it's so much word of mouth. So we felt like we just kind of do a lot of the old fashioned, uh, guerrilla marketing tactics to, uh, to get things off the ground. And, and that ranged from anywhere from trying to get student ambassadors to, uh, you know, we, we get pretty aggressive with our, with our flyering tactics. Uh, I, I'd, I'd take, cause all, especially at Hopkins, everything's gated, uh, to the dormitory. So some of our early clients, we'd ask them for their student cards. And I guess I looked young enough at the time I would take their card. I'd swipe in, I'd go through every single floor, uh, oh, wow, putting flyers awesome. under their doors or in their common rooms. 
Um, and then on freshman move on day, move in day, that was, that was big, uh, a big marketing opportunity for us. We actually made, this is probably the, the, the funniest thing we did. We actually, uh, we got, uh, we ordered a bunch of condoms and, um, we put stickers on all the condoms and our logo was a crab. And, uh, <laughs> and we said, uh, Logan was make our crab the only crab in your life. That's awesome. <laughs> Be more clean. Um, Did you hand it to the parents or to the kids? handed it to the pit? So, so, you know, all these parents that, uh, you know, pretty conservative backgrounds, I would say, you know, have me coming up to them, you know, they're probably terrified. They're about to, you know, have their kid leave the nest for the first time in their <laughs> lives. And uh, I'm coming over to them, this bowl full of, of condoms and, uh, and crabs. Hey, 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 be safe. <laughs> um, it's probably a good way to meet single moms. <laughs> there you go. Now I'm single <laughs> at the time. So that, that could have been, that could have been an interesting tack. Um, but, uh, <laughs> But funny enough, th- those condoms still exist. Um, they are uh, in my room somewhere, um, at least the, the remaining ones. Um, so there's physical evidence of, of those in existence. Um, but yeah, I mean, the the tactics there were just, you know, we, we would try pretty much anything. And uh, we developed a pretty good brand. I mean, I still have parents and kids call me today. There's no website anymore. Um, you know, we haven't been in service for, you know, almost a decade now. And uh you know, I still, I still have people call us asking for the service. How are they getting your, like finding out about you? Uh, I think, you know, we used my number at the time as the company number. Got it. Um, okay. So it's just kind of living on the interweb somewhere. Um, and how, 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 um, it, it's, it says in the description that it was a subscription based service and yeah. it was on demand. So y'all just had the one suburban serving all these, these kids. Yes, sir. Yeah. And, well, how did y'all, what did y'all just day part it? Um, when you say day part, what, what, what does that mean? Well, if I'm, I don't know if I'm you and I'm doing marketing and then somebody says they want their laundry, but I'm doing marketing, how do I go pick up the clothes or whatever? Like, gotcha. did you have, well, yeah. So there was two of us. Um, we were kind of splitting, uh, you know, we set it up so there'd be certain times that uh, we pick up and drop off. We tried to make it as organized uh, as we could. Okay, got it. Um, so we, there was different dorms around campus. You'd, you'd be like Tuesday at 6.30. <laughs> you would have come out. Each student got their own bag. Uh, there'd be more clean bag. Again, everything that we would hand them would be branded. Um, so, you know, obviously kind of word of mouth, exposure, that type of thing. Um, so we'd have like 20 kids come up with their 20 pound bag and hand it to us. We'd shove it into the suburban <laughs> and then, you know, I'd haul it off to, in the beginning, we actually had, we were trying, the biggest issue was trying to find people that would wash the clothes. And in the very beginning, we only had a couple customers. I was actually washing them at my parents' house and, uh, wow. I'll never forget, you know, some of the, uh, yeah. Some, some of those experience, you know, especially with some of the women's garments, like I didn't even know what some of these things were. And I remember, yeah, you learn quickly. Mom, like, what do I do with this thing? <laughs> yep. Um, I, yeah. uh, I'm making a sour lemon face right now. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it was, it was like a scientist with like those tweezers, you know, so you didn't have to touch it. Um, you're like like, i know everything about women now yeah yeah there you go Uh, i think i know too much um (laughs) and you uh, married a doctor there you go yeah that's Uh, funny i got a full deep dive now but um yeah so i mean that's kind of how we started off uh then we went to another third-party vendor who would literally meet me in like an alley with their van and i would take it from the kids to them 
um, they would go wash it at wherever they washed it, and then we'd meet in that same spot. They'd hand them back over. We finally found a little more of a legitimate business that kind of did this, um, you know, for uh, the greater Baltimore area. And, um, you know, I'd actually go to their plants. Uh, we'd give them all the laundry. They'd package it and fold it nicely. Um, and then we'd put it back in the truck and, and hand it off. Um, but uh, Just that, growing pains. That's crazy. Yeah, it, it was brutal. It, it's definitely uh, a tough, tough business. Um, but what we ended up finding, uh, the best part of that business was the storage. Um, and, and, and one of my bigger regrets that we didn't kind of stay with that longer. We ended up selling it after two years, the business, because I think we just kind of wanted to get out of it. But um, mm-hmm. the storage piece ended up being really interesting. And there's a company now uh, that's venture backs. You know, they've raised over like $100 million, uh, called Clutter. And it's literally the exact same business model. I actually... Uh, what do you, what do you mean the job. exact same business model? Uh, so on-demand storage. So literally all they oh, do is... Oh, so be more clean turned into... It added a product which was on-demand storage. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So we started okay. off with pickup and drop-off laundry and dry cleaning. Um, we ended up finding out that you know at the end of semesters and at the end of the year, these kids had to move all their crap out of their dorms by a certain time or else they'd get uh, fined. You know, gotcha. it's kind of chaos because final exams happen. They have to be out by like noon yeah. that same day. They're yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah. It's just chaos. Um, so we added the, the, the storage element, which we could charge a lot more for. It mm-hmm. was kind of, you know, it wasn't kind of the, the, the arduous back and forth weekly type of thing we had to do with laundry. It was just kind of, you know, we pick it up once, we drop it off at the end of the summer. You know, it was just is a lot simpler. Um, it, it crushed our bodies because obviously we were doing to, to make our margins. We were doing a lot of the uh, picking up of boxes, mm-hmm. picking up bed frames, throwing, you know, we would, we'd rent these U-Haul trucks for it. I mean, it was, it was quite a production, but, um, but that ended up being the best part of our, our business. Um, I just think it literally broke our backs, both, both mentally and physically. Um, yeah. And how did the, uh, how did the, how did the whole sale happen? Like how did the, um, from a standpoint of you getting somebody approaching you and, you know, uh, I guess take us through as much as you can share with that. Yeah. So, so students could pay through the website that we had at the time. We built a custom website for, for be more clean. Um, we'd also go around with an iPad and this is when square had just come out. So we do credit card swipes there. Um, oh no, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I meant, uh, cause it says you sold the company. Oh, oh the sale of the company, the gotcha. sale of the company. I'm sorry. Yeah. 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 So we, we, we ran it for two years. Um, and, um, you know, we probably could have done it. We could, if we would have stayed with it, I think we could have, um, you know, done something much bigger with it. But, uh, our second year, I think we tried to expand too quickly uh, we really try with the success of the storage the first year, the next year we went out and we spent a good bit of money getting custom boxes uh, instead of just kind of going to Home Depot like we had in the past. So we wanted to go get, you know, custom corrugated boxes uh, branded, you know, we, we got them painted white with the Be More Clean logo and it ended up being phenomenal marketing. And I think that's partly why we still get calls. Um, cause it really kind of, somebody's got a box in the attic or something. I, I'm telling you, man, they're literally, we, we would leave the boxes in certain areas for just our customers to go get. Cause we couldn't always 
drop them off to a, to them. It wasn't efficient. <laughs> and then kids would just raid this place. They'd catch wind that these boxes were in there. You know, we're like and legal then, drug dealers. You had like a drop spot. <laughs> <laughs> we did. We had a drop zone. There was a code word. Um, yeah, it was That's very funny. secretive. But, um, but yeah, we got to a point where, you know, we were scaling. We went down to D.C. We were scaling to like American University, Georgetown, um, GW. And, um, yeah, I, I think we just got to the point where we, we extended ourselves a little too much. Um, maybe we didn't have enough foresight into kind of what this could become. We hadn't quite taken that, that push into the technology piece, you know, cause what we're really turning is like a service provider for college kids. Mm-hmm. You're thinking of adding, you know, food delivery in that this was before DoorDash and oh, sure. you know, Postmates and, and all of that. So there were so many things we could have kind of done with that. Um, I just don't think we had enough foresight and, uh, maybe some of the mentors, um, you know, that, uh, you know, Maryland isn't really known for, at least at the time, kind of this entrepreneurial powerhouse place. So I didn't really have, I had kind of more traditional mentors, um, mm-hmm. you know, lawyers, doctors, uh, finance guys. Um, and, yeah. And, and no offense to them, but they end up being the worst types of angel investors. They have like 8,000 questions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They wanted me to put together these like traditional business 80 page plans. business plans. Yeah. yeah. I'm just like, <laughs> listen, man, that's, that's not a good use of my time. Um, yeah. so, uh, so yeah, we ended up selling it to a local competitor. Um, you know, oh, y'all had a competitor. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We made a little bit on the deal. Um, you know, nothing to, uh, send me to Hawaii, but, um, you know, it was, we chalked it up as a good experience and, um, yeah, we had a lot of fun with it. Um, what, what did your, uh, what did your parents think? Um, they were kind of ready for me to do something more traditional, <laughs> I would say. Um, like what you're going to clean college kids, dirty undies. Like that's <laughs> in our, in our house. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Um, and they also just saw how much the, the storage piece was, was beating us up physically. Like, we, we hadn't gotten to the point where we were really, you know, just kind of sitting back and doing more of the management. Like we were living in that business. You know, we would, I remember we'd go into these big storage units that we'd rent and we'd almost get lost in the units because there were so many boxes. I mean, wow. it, it was just to this point where it was, it was comical how, how, you know, how much, how many boxes we really did have. And we were loading these things, you know, 15 feet up. And, uh, you know, it was, I remember we, we almost would like sleep in there cause we'd be too tired to walk out of the thing. Um, so yeah, they, they saw a lot of the tough pieces. And again, you know, I didn't really have the, uh, foresight to see what it could be if we kind of dredged through a few more, uh, you know, semesters of doing this. Um, all right. So I want to transition a little bit more. I mean, I'm probably going to end up having to do like three interviews with you because okay. you've got a pretty so, interesting a background. Yeah. yeah, no, it's, it's, it's amazing. Like, I, I mean, I could, I love this stuff. I could do it all day. Um, so, uh, where, where, where I want to take this is, so when I first, you know, Tyler, when I first, when I first reached out to the initial crop of CROs, I wanted to interview, you know, part of what I'm getting at here is I think of with, with, with the community I'm trying to build is I feel like the CRO position, I've been in SAS since 2008. And so I feel like the CRO position in some shape or form has existed for a little over a decade, but it hasn't really been formalized until the past year or two. Mm-hmm. Um, none of you guys that I've talked to thus far have the same background. Like it's insane. <laughs> uh, you know, you talk to a CFO or a CMO and the, the path to that office is almost the same every time. Yeah. Um, and 
so what I was curious about is when I saw your profile, you know, you're doing the startup thing, you've had a few jobs, obviously the pro tennis thing, but then like, how did the CRO position come about? Like, did you bring it to the company founder or you made it up and said, this is what you need? Um, probably a little bit of, of both. I mean, uh, it, it was originally, you know, I'm one of the partners at E2 gens. Uh, I've mm-hmm. never really been a title guy. Um, but you know, I was told by, uh, you know, a couple of my colleagues that this is now a title that's kind of more appropriate for the types of things that you're doing and specifically for, um, you know, someone in, in the technology space. Uh, and what, think, what are, what are those things? Cause again, yeah, like yeah. I've ever since I've interviewed, started doing these interviews, um, everybody's got a different combination of what they're doing. Yeah. I, I think the main reason why it makes sense is because it's, you know, there's so many things that can go into driving revenues and there, this, everything is so competitive. Now there's already so many people that are doing kind of the same things, uh, or similar strategies. And how do you differentiate, um, uh, how do you create new opportunities for your business? And at least how I kind of, um, define that, that title is, is that you're going to be figuring out a number of different strategies to drive revenue, no matter what that is. And that uh, too often I'd see larger organizations, like when I work with Juniper networks that say like the sales and the marketing team didn't really mesh well, they didn't really communicate well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've seen so many companies now focus less on, you know, hard cold calling and more so on branding and positioning and being proactive with content that you know, gets people familiar with your brand, gets people comfortable with your brand, and then following up with the, the colder outreach or some more of the traditional outreach. Um, you know, yeah, it's so, almost like, it's almost like a, I, I mean, I would re- rebrand it almost as like lukewarm is the new cold or something. Yeah. Yeah, mm. absolutely. I mean, I've, I've always tried to do things outside the box. Um, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Um, I guess my main ethos is that I try to give before I ask, uh, for something in return. Um, mm-hmm. because everyone's always trying to take, uh, mm-hmm. very few people are willing to kind of give their time, um, you know, for nothing, you know, not too many people are open to giving their time without something transactional, um, you know, directly back to them. Um, you know, sometimes that delayed gratification is, is the way to build, uh, a real relationship with someone. And, um, you know, I guess, you know, for better, or for worse, I, I really like to develop relationships. Um, I, I want to kind of have that consultancy type of sale as well, where I'm providing real value. But I think that comes through building trust and relationship with someone. And, and sometimes you need to, to give uh, early on before, you know, you get kind of what you're looking for on the back end. Yeah. So let's stay there for a second. So E2 Generations is a consulting company. Uh, y'all have been around for over two years at this point. Uh, what, um, how did y'all, did you already have like clients that were ready to roll or did you have to go out and get the first ones like, you know, from nothing? Um, so there was a, a couple there. I mean, so E2 Generations has been around for about eight, nine years. Um, oh, okay. I'm sorry. You've been uh, there over two years. My bad. Well, so we kind of been together for longer than that. So Mark and Kyle, who are the original founders, it's a father-son duo. Uh, the father has 30-plus years in big system consulting. Mm. He was the CTO of a 250 onshore 
uh, consulting firm in the early 90s. They were doing big pharma contracts, big financial institution contracts, you know, up to like a, a you know, quarter of a billion. Um, wow. Okay. You know, you know this is kind of the, the days when we were kind of making that transition from hardware to software. Um, mm-hmm. So he's, he's the one with, you know, a lot of those deep consulting roots. And then uh, Kyle was transitioning out of uh, kind of being in the finance world and uh, wanting to kind of learn the craft from his father. So his father and, and him started E2 Generations. Kyle kind of learned the arts of being a developer. And uh, the idea of creating E2 Generations was to have this boutique firm that would do a lot of internal projects and they would have a handful of you know, more traditional contract relationships to kind of feed um, some of their entrepreneurial endeavors. And so their second project inside of E2 Generations was mine uh, called Happenin. And so, you know, they took a big equity piece and, you know, it was, um, you know, kind of in the social app space uh, at the time. And so that's kind of where we started that relationship. So they had a couple. And when you say, I'm sorry to interrupt again, yeah. you, you, you said, so Happenin was, uh, an idea you had and you went to ET generations and said, Hey, for, if you build us, I'll give you equity. Is, is that, am I following that correct? Yeah. So remember I knew Kyle and Mark from, from the days of playing tennis. Got it. Okay. Um, so got when it. we were trying to figure out who was going to develop this idea, um, I had caught wind that Kyle and his father had started ET generations. So that's when I reached out and, you know, they, they liked the idea it was they were just starting, starting off. So it was more like a reigniting of that relationship at that point. Absolutely. Yeah, Got it. 100%. Okay. Got um, it. Okay. So that took us, you know, that was like three years together doing that, the trials and tribulations, the pivots, all that jazz. Um, and then, you know, I was out in LA at the time we had kind of, you know, wound down, a, uh, wind down a couple of those startups and, um, you know, we're kind of looking for the next thing. We didn't really have anything internally that we wanted to do. So we thought we'd kind of switch gears and, and go back to kind of what Kyle's dad had done, Mark, kind of in that traditional uh, consulting uh, capacity. So um, I moved to Tampa. There was really just kind of four of us. They had, you know, like one or two clients at the time. And uh, it was really kind of you know, Greenfield, uh, let's figure out what's, what's going on in Tampa. We felt like Florida in general is kind of a diamond in the rough Had a lot of, um, a lot of opportunities there. Um, kind mm-hmm. of thought that there was a general migration South, you know, just the population is, you know, they like uh, no income tax. It's a little cheaper to start a business, you know, talents, uh, oh, yeah, the, the arbitrage on talent is so much better, yeah. better than like West coast or Northeast. 100%. Yeah. And I saw that in LA, um, you know, LA was kind of a, you know, not really a tech hub until, you know, talent and capital migrated from San Francisco. Cause you know, things have just gotten crazy from a living, uh, cost perspective. And then, um, you know, I thought the same thing would happen with Florida's proximity to New York. You, know, you obviously have already people coming down there for vacation. And, uh, you know, I started to see a lot of young families, a lot of development in Tampa and Florida and, uh, thought it'd be a better idea to be a, a big fish in a, in a smaller pond type of thing. Um, so, uh, yeah, we went from, you know, pretty much nothing to, to something in, in a short period of time and, and grew the team, um, you know, trials and tribulations and kind of scaling the team, uh, as well. And, um, you know, I think we're, we're now in a pretty good position where we have a great core, uh, group of folks, uh, helping us build products 
And, um, you know, we've, we've tried a lot of unique ways to, to try and grow in general. Now is, is, um, is, is Kyle, I mean, would he be considered like a technical co-founder these days? Is he a full developer right. himself? He is. Okay. Uh, so Mark and Kyle are, are pretty much our two most senior, uh, developers. Um, so, you know, both of them have unique skill sets in that they can sell, that they understand business, uh, Very they unique. speak that language <laughs> and then they, and then they can also, uh, build some cool stuff. So, uh, you know, that's kind of, I, I would say my best talent is I'm, I'm pretty good at identifying talent. And, um, you know, I wanted to, to hook my wagon up to them and, uh, and see what we could do together. Um, you know, and, and I think a wheelhouse that was kind of better suited for our, our skill sets and, and, uh, you know, kind of building, you know, big, bigger systems together. Um, you know, we had spent a lot of our time in like the social app space and I feel like we're, we're much more suited for, kind of that B2B enterprise, um, you know, SaaS type build out that we, uh, that we focus on now. Gotcha. Well, I mean, you know, if I read correctly, y'all got into with happening, you got into Y Combinator, correct? Uh, no, we didn't get into Y Combinator. We, we applied a couple of times. We, we partnered with a couple of companies that went through YC and, uh, oh, okay. we, we, we formed some strategic partnerships with some of those companies that had graduated. You know, I, I kind of mentioned on the the prep document that, you know, sales has a, a lot to do with confidence. And I remember being difficult is that, you know, I, I played sports and it's so easy because you get that gratification immediately. And, um, you know, you've, you've said like, you're really confident in what you're going to do. How do you, how do you stay confident during, during those, those lulls in business? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. That's the best value proposition that comes from sports is anyone that's played sports, you're typically failing more than you're winning if you, if you really kind of assessed it correctly. And mm -hmm. um, I think if you've developed a framework of winning, you can take that framework and dump it into any vertical, any competency. You know, when you're younger, uh, you don't know as much and, and kind of, you know, if you have the right parents and the right coaches, um, they, they make you kind of stick with things that are hard until you slowly figure it out. And if you've had, if you've done that once in your life, if you've, you know, whether it's tennis or lacrosse, you know, there's plenty of times that you're missing a shot or missing a catch, uh, missing a ground ball, you know, losing a match. Um, and you know, just part of the process is that if you want to keep on playing, uh, and, and you want to eventually win, you got to continue to refine the skill set. And I think you just can't get used to getting knocked down. You get used to getting back up. It's just part of the process. And I think learning that young at a young age, um, and again, getting to some level of success at some point, you know, you, you just kind of are more prepared for those, those ups and downs, uh, those lulls, those plateaus. And, um, again, you've, if you've done it before, you can take that framework and, and you're not surprised that, you know, there's, there's issues that come up. Um, and if you really enjoy what you're doing, uh, and you enjoy the journey, uh, then, you know, it's, it's worth you continuing to get up within that same, um, you know, competency that you're in. You know, you've all, we've all got those like pivot points, the one good thing or the that one bad thing. Point. Yeah. Yeah. Is there, is there one particular bad one that sticks out to you on the, on the business half of your life? People, um, you know, the people that you partner with, I've, mm -hmm. I've had a couple, you know, co-found co-founder, uh, you know, squabbles and, um, you know, 
being being really good at you know finding the types of people that a uh, there's there's two things a you don't want to do something with someone where you have the same skill set you want to find someone that has a complementary skill set um, but then you also ha- want to find someone that has uh, a similar value system and um, you know as as good as I thought I was at identifying talent <laughs> and uh, you know I didn't do it uh, correctly in, in the first go around. Um, and, uh, which is difficult because with that kind of contrasting personality in terms of like your focus, your competency, there can be, um, some moments, you know, where you disagree or, you know, just, you kind of have a different way of looking at the world. But as long as you have that, that core value system that's aligned, um, you know, you can kind of get through that. And, uh, I would, I would say if there's one thing that consistently has made life challenging, it's when, um, you know, you're just, you're bringing in the wrong people or you're working with the wrong people. Um, all, all those other, you know, you're bound to make mistakes, but if you have the right people in place, um, you know, those, uh, those downturns will be, uh, a lot, a lot, you know, more shallow. Yeah. It's uh, crazy. People will never cease to amaze one another. So. <laughs> Which makes it interesting, but, uh, also painful. Yeah, Tyler. So we're coming up to the end. So the last part of this, I call quick hit Q and a, um, the answers are meant to be, you know, real quick, but feel free to go long if you wish. How do you get your lacrosse and tennis fill these days? Uh, lacrosse, not so much cause it hurts. Um, <laughs> I don't want to be hit with a stick anymore. Yeah. Uh, tennis is a little easier, although, uh, I get, you know, the next morning's always rough, but, um, it's crazy. It's isn't it? to find, yeah. New York, it's tough to find a tennis court, but, uh, I've, I've gotten my, my fiance into it. Um, you know, so we'll go out and play. Um, I've got a couple friends that I'll hit with, but, uh, tennis is way better than being on the elliptical. So, uh, I try to, uh, make time for, for my tennis still. My, my, I still am friends with the guy. We played club soccer together since eighth grade. And we're like, how do we used to run five miles on the beach with this ball for like, you know, whatever. Cause we used to do it effortlessly. And now I don't think I could run 50 yards without stopping. Who's the, who's a mentor uh, to you that, that probably does not know it. Uh, this, this sounds sappy, but uh, you know, I would say my, my better half, my fiance, not necessarily a mentor, but someone that I try to, to learn from because she has a lot of the uh, the qualities I wish I could I could have, um, but I'm too stubborn or um, <laughs> too set in my own ways to do it. Um, but uh, you know, she she's definitely someone that I, I look up to in a lot of ways in, in terms of how to be just you know engage with people better. Got you. What's a blind spot in your 20s that you clearly see now? Ooh, that's that, that's a loaded question. Um, <laughs> okay, uh, just you know, general experience, like, you know, being able to see common threads, you know, I just didn't do enough stuff. Um, I feel like now I've done enough things that, you know, uh, I can, I can kind of see it before it happens. Um, so just kind of general experience. And and now I think you have information is more readily available and, and I know how to read information better, I guess. So, um, you know, access to information, um, and just general experience of not doing the, you know, not doing dumb things that I've done before. You grew up in a very complicated, uh, area of the country for sports. There's a lot of <laughs> lines crossing over. No, um, who's your favorite sports teams? Oof. Um, well, Johns, Hop- it was a college team. Johns Hopkins lacrosse team was, was my favorite. 
growing no. up. Um, I was a big fan of the Baltimore Thunder, which was an indoor uh, lacrosse league. Um, I'm a fan of the Ravens, obviously. Uh, we don't have a basketball team. I'd, lo- I'd love to have a basketball team. So I, um, I was a Bullets fan for, for a bit. But uh, growing up, I was a big O's fan. You know, I was never a huge baseball player, but um, you know, we were one of the best announcers in the game. Uh, Beautiful you know, park. In, yeah, historic park. You know, we had Cal. We had Mike Devereaux. We had Brady Anderson. We had some, we had some studs back then. We had Davey Johnson, you know, one of the best, you know, Roberto Alomar. I mean, we had such an awesome team. Um, so I would say as a young one, uh, as a young pup, that was, that was probably the professional team that I followed. This was before the Ravens, too, like to come to town. So mm-hmm. I would say probably O's uh, are probably dearest to my heart, even though it's pretty painful to watch them now. <laughs> uh. Tyler, if uh, you uh, were walking into Arthur Ashe Stadium and uh, they allowed music, what would your intro song be? Oof. Um, it'd probably be an ACDC song. All right. What, what, uh, what is your favorite curse word? Fuck. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? A t- professional tennis player. Fuck. I saw that one coming. <laughs> If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? You're forgiven. <laughs> Tyler, if someone wants to reach you, what's the best way for them to do that? Email, uh, text. Text? Okay. What's text. the number? Uh, 410-245-5050. Tyler Kelly, thanks so much for coming on the CRO Gumbo podcast. Thank you, Christian. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to CRO Gumbo. If you are having trouble with your revenue generating processes and would like to discuss one of our workshops, text CRO to 555 That's C-R-O-555-888. Now go innovate.